that this morning.
I count on one thing the same God that never fails he won't fail me now no you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God that's never late is working all things out you're working all things out oh yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I will bless your name yes I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days yes I will sing it out again to him count on one thing count on one thing the same God that never fails he won't fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God that's never late is working all things out you're working all things out oh yes I
righteousness alone Faultless stand before the inviting his presence in this morning. Friends. 
Jesus Christ is our living hope, and aren't you grateful for the presence of the Spirit 
that is in this place today. And not just his presence that's in this place, but his presence that goes with us everywhere that we go if we know him as our Lord and Savior. You know, I, I must confess a little bit this week, I was a little bit discouraged and down as I was looking at the things that were happening around the world, and especially over in Afghanistan, and, and you just see the darkness that's in the world. And I heard a statement this week uh, that was really discouraging, and the statement was this from somebody else in another country that said, if the light of America goes out, then the light of the world goes out. And that just really kind of bothered me, and I began to pray about it, and I was reminded of words that Paul spoke in Ephesians chapter 6, where he said in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. And he goes on and he says, For this reason you need to put on the full armor of God every day. And it was just a reminder of the darkness that's in the world is a whole lot more than what we see, that there's a spiritual battle that is going on. But then I was also reminded of Matthew chapter 5 where it says that you are the light of the world. And it is the light of Christ that is in us, the Spirit of God that is working, not just here in this place, but the Spirit of God that is working all over the world. And that the darker the world gets, the more the light of Christ is able to shine through us. And a wonderful reminder that God is not caught by surprise about the things that go on in this world. And God is still very much in control. And His light still shines in the darkness. And I was reminded as Paul kept writing after he tells you to put on the full armor of God... He spoke these words in verse 19. He says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. He said, pray for me that I would have boldness to share the mystery of Christ. Why? So that the light of Christ can continue to shine in this dark world. And that should be our prayer every day. This song that we sing is more than just a song. It should be our prayer that, Holy Spirit, you are welcome, not just here in this building, but you're welcome here in my life to be a light and give me boldness. Today, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. And we're going to pray for our brothers and sisters that are laying down their life all around the world for the gospel of Christ. And the boldness that we're seeing through them. And pray also that we would have that same boldness in our life as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your light that continues to shine even in the darkness. God, for this reminder that the things that we see happening in this world are so much more than, than what we can see with our physical eyes. But there is a spiritual war that is going on. That there's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And God, as it seems the world is getting darker and darker, that just gives opportunity for your light to shine brighter and brighter. God, we thank you today for those believers around the world who are standing firm in their faith, even though it is costing them their very lives. God, I pray that you would give them boldness. 
God, I pray that through their life, through their testimony, that others would come to know you in a personal way, that they would see you through them. God, they're going through things that we don't even understand here. And God, I just pray for your protection upon them. God, we lift up our, our military to you. God, I pray for those families today who lost loved ones this week as, as their sons and their daughters, their brothers and their sisters. They were protecting lives, trying to save lives of other people, and they gave up their life to do so. God, I pray that today you would just comfort those families in only the way that you can. And God, I pray as Paul asked us to pray, to pray for him, and I pray for other believers, and I pray for us as well, that we would have the boldness to share the mystery of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ. Knowing that Jesus Christ truly is the hope of our world today. That he is the hope that we all need, and that it is through him that we find courage, that we find strength, but more importantly, that we find hope and salvation. God, we thank you for your wonderful love for us and things going on around us that we don't always understand, but we know that we can trust you, that you are still on your throne, that you are still the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords, and we are so grateful for that. And it's in Christ's name that I pray, amen. But I am super glad that you're here, and hopefully you came ready to hear from God's word today. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter First Peter, last week we began uh, just looking at this little epistle, this first letter of Peter, and we gave it a theme, and the theme is living as outsiders in a strange land. Now, there's an idea here that we are foreigners. If you're a follower of Christ Jesus, you may live in this world, but this world's not your home, right? You're an outsider. You're a foreigner, and to live in a strange land, how many you say that the world that we live in today is kind of strange? Some crazy stuff going on. And so we felt like it was just timely and it was relevant to dig into First Peter at this time. And so uh, I want to begin with a question this morning. The title of the message is Living Clean in a Dirty World. I think that's what I did. Yeah, Clean Living in a Dirty World. How do we live clean in a dirty world? So here's the question. The question is this. Do you believe that the church, and when I say the church, I'm not talking about living water or this building if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the church. I'm the church, you're the church. So here's the question. How many of you believe that the church is having an impact on the culture around it or that the culture around the church is having more of an impact on the church? And let's bring it down to a smaller level and look at it on your personal level. You as a follower of Christ, you are the church representing um, God in the areas, you know, the family, the workplace, and the school, even in church community. Is your light or your influence as a church, as part of the church, are you having an impact on those around you or are you allowing the culture around you to have an impact on you? Because the reality is, is we should, as followers of Christ, have an impact on this world. Amen? I mean, we're in this world, we're not of this world, but while we're here, we should make a big holler and a lot of noise and make a big to-do about who God is to a world that needs to know him. And so we should have a huge influence on the world around us. David mentioned in the first service this idea that we are the light, and we are the light. And if we're going to be effective and influential as the light of the world, or you know, as children of the light, then we really truly have to understand our role of what we do in the here and the now as followers of Jesus Christ. Let me explain it this way. So when we think of salvation, we usually look at that way from one perspective. We've got like a narrow view of salvation. And we nail it down to a time and a place. 
And so like for little Corbin today, his baptism, he can go back to a date in his calendar and say, I got baptized on this day. I remember very clearly the day that I got saved, the day that I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel. I remember clearly the day that I got baptized. But sometimes we just see it from that perspective alone, and we stop there. And the problem with that is, is the Scripture, when it talks about salvation, it looks at Scripture from three different perspectives. There is that perspective of placing our faith here and now in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we usually say stuff like, have you been saved? You know, it's a past event. But Scripture also looks to a future when we'll, we'll realize the full revelation of that salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the day that Christ returns and we receive this salvation that we believe and hope in by faith, right? This living hope that we talked about last week. So Scripture talks about a time when Christ is coming, when he will be revealed to the whole world, and then our salvation will be complete. But in between... The past and the future is the here and the now that you and I are living in. And, and scripture also looks at this season of salvation. And there's a, a theological term called sanctification. And it's the process of growing in our faith. The moment you gave your life to Christ, the moment you trusted, a process began. And you begin to grow in your faith. And I'm going to let you in a little secret. God is more committed to your sanctification than even you are at times. And I can prove it. We pray prayers like this. Lord, please protect me. Lord, please watch over me. Don't let me experience any um, hard things in this life. But we learned last week that Peter said it's the hard things in life that prove the genuineness of our faith, that there's a refining process. And as we grow in our faith, it's like the gold is heated up and the dross comes to the top and, and the refiner moves the dross out of the way and he does it over and over again to make it more and more pure. And the goal is to be able to look at the gold and see the reflection of the refiner in that gold. And God is in the same business with you and I today. And God is committed to our sanctification, to growing us up in our faith. And so here's, here's what I want to say today, and the focus of today's sermon is this, that this living hope, this priceless inheritance that Peter talked about in, earlier in chapter 1, well, in fact, let's just do that for those that may not have been here. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. So it's not because of our works or our good looks or the church we grew up in or the family, but it's by the mercy of God that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with this great expectation or we have this living hope. It says, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation future, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. That's awesome, isn't it? So Peter goes on to say now, okay, because of this priceless inheritance, this, this salvation, this beautiful salvation that is set up in heaven, protected for us, it should create, last week we talked about this, this overwhelming joy in our lives, regardless of what we go through, right? And so in this world, we're going to experience some hardships, but we should be filled with joy because, you know what, we have a, a, a bigger picture in mind. We're looking to the future when one day we know that this inheritance that is laid up in heaven, kept for us, out of the reach of decay, nobody can steal it, nobody can jack with it, right? We know that when we meet Jesus one day, we'll, we'll realize the full revelation of his love and his salvation for all mankind. That's pretty cool, right? So Peter goes on to say, that should produce joy. But then he says, the very first word in verse 13, some of your versions will say, therefore. Some will say, wherefore. Some, like mine, will say, so. And so we need, to, we need to touch on that for just a second because when you see the word therefore, you've heard me say it a million times, when you see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to know what it's there for. 
Meaning, we need to go back and realize or look at what has been said already. And in light of what's been said, then we move forward to application or some other revelation of truth. And so Peter's saying, okay, because of this living hope, this blessed living hope, this priceless inheritance in heaven, therefore, in light of that, that we should live lives of holiness. Okay? So I'm going to skip ahead real quick. Verse 15, it says, but now you must be holy In everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say you must be holy because I'm holy. So you see with salvation, there's the past when we placed our faith in Jesus. There's the presence where we're being saved. That is, we're growing in our salvation, becoming more and more like God. And then there's one day when we meet him face to face and our our salvation is complete. Peter's talking about the second, the middle. This idea of holiness let me give you a few verses quickly. Titus 2.14 says, He gave his life, Jesus, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Are we totally committed to doing good deeds? Galatians 4.19, Oh, my dear children, Paul says, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. He's like... We're going to keep on until Christ is developed in your, in your lives. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them too to what? To become like his son. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Ephesians 1.4. Even before the world was made, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. I can go on and on, but I'll give you a couple more. God's will. Listen, what is God's will for my life? What does God want from me? 1 Thessalonians 4 says God's will is for you to be holy. Say holy. So God's will is for us to be holy. This idea of sanctification, holiness, says God, uh, hang on a second, to stay away from all sexual sin, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. It goes back to Leviticus 11 when the law was given to the children of Israel. And here's what God wanted. God is holy, perfect, perfect holiness. And so he laid out the law for the children of Israel. and said, these are the things you don't do. These are the things you do. You're my people. And if you're going to be my people, you're going to reflect my glory and my holiness. And if you live according to these standards, then you're going to, you're going to stick out a little bit in this world. You're going to be a peculiar people, maybe even a little weird. But you're going to stand out. And you're going to live lives that are different than those around you. And what it's going to do is it's going to draw people to the one true living God because there are many false gods that they were worshiping. And they had this one true Jehovah God. And when you live lives of holiness, it's going to draw them like a magnet to the glory of God. And I would say that the same thing is true today. God wants to use us as followers of Christ to reflect his holiness. And so when the world sees us, they're like, you're different you're a peculiar, you're weird people, right? There's something about you that, and it draws them hopefully to the same hope that you and I cling to and hold on today. Amen or good with me so far? So God's desire is for us to be holy. It, it is our, I say requirement, it should produce holiness in us um, as we're walking as, as foreigners or outsiders in a strange land. So the question is, how do we do it? 
How do we live lives of holiness? I'm not talking about a perfection because none of us will ever be perfect. Let me just let you in a little secret. Uh, this sanctification process, this holiness that we're called to will continue on until the day we take our very last breath. We're always learning. We're always growing. So some of you guys, that you've done your time in school. You're like, I'm glad that's over. Let me just let you in a little secret. Sanctification goes on until the moment we're in the presence of God. We're always growing in our faith, right? Now here's a cool thing. When we're in the presence of God, there's this theological term called glorification. To be glorified, to be in the presence of God means that we are free. And this should bring a little bit of smile on your face. We are free from the presence of sin for all eternity. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Should you realize that when you place your faith in the gospel, you were free from the penalty of sin? That's justification. God looks at us through the gospel lens and he says, just as if they had never sinned. We are freed from the penalty of sin of our sin. In sanctification, what we're talking about today, we're free from the presence of it. Do you know that sin has no power over you except for what you give it? Greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world, right? And and so we're no longer slaves to sin, we're slaves to righteousness, so we are free. Some of you need to hear this today, like I can't help myself. Yes, as a follower of Christ Jesus, we are free from from the power of sin. And one day, praise God, one day we'll be free from the presence of sin, glorification. All right? Are you with me so far? So the question is, how do we live these lives? Another way of putting it is, how do we live as the light? Because we are light. There's references in Scripture about God is light. We're children of the light, so we reflect his light. And when you see darkness in Scripture, it references the evil in the world. And so the question is, is how do we live out these lives in the light in a dark world, or how do we walk in the dark? Have you ever walked in the dark? It's kind of scary, isn't it? Usually I, I'm not walking with confidence. I'm kind of walking like this because I don't know where anything's at, right? And I don't want to stub my toe because that hurts really bad. So the question is, we live in a dark world, strange land. As outsiders, how do we walk in it? And that's the, the focus of what Peter lays out now, verses 13 through 14. So he gives us, I think there's like seven different imperatives. I mean, some of them are participles, but I mean, together, they're all commands. And he's basically laying it out. Here's what it looks like to live lives of holiness. <clears throat> Verse 13. So prepare your minds for action. Um, and the, the, the older language, I think the King James might say, gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? Gird up the loins of your mind. So in first century Christendom, I mean, they would, everybody walked around in robes. Dudes in robes, dudettes in robes, but they all walked in robes. And that was just kind of what they wore in those days. And if they needed to run or they needed to do some strenuous labor, the ends of the robes would get in the way. It was a lot of loose material flowing. And, and in order to keep from tripping up over the ends of the robes, they would do this. They would bend over, they would grab the back of their robe, and they would pull it up in front, and they would tuck it in their belt. And they made trousers. See, trousers before trousers were invented. But when they did that, it would gather up all the loose ends of the, of the robe, and they were free to run. They were free to move about. And that's what Peter is saying. is like to gather the loose ends of your mind, to prepare your mind for action, to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, if you have ADHD like I do, you know exactly what the loose ends of your mind looks like. There's a lot of them. And I can tell you that growing up, it was so difficult in school when you're trying to focus on certain things. But I can tell you there was always a couple of things that were primers that would get my attention like this. And I could zone in from all those distractions. I go, I'm, you got me now. You got me. And it was usually this. 
Shane, this is a timed test, and the time began five minutes ago. (gasps) And I'd zone in, right? Or, after the hundredth time your dad tells you to do something, you don't hear it, and you know that sound. That belt coming off the pants. Oh, man, I can like, like laser beam. You've got my absolute attention right now. What Peter's saying is we need to do the same thing with our mind because it begins in the mind. The mind is a powerful place. And what you feed it can affect you in a powerful way. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, but it's not always safe. Just hang with me. This will only take a moment, okay? Sorry, that's my NF reference. So for those of you who don't know rap, you don't know what I just said, but the mind is a powerful place, right? And it begins in the mind. And so he says you need to get control of the mind. You need to gird up the loins of your mind. You need to prepare your mind for action. He goes on, he says, prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. Still talking about the mind. It's like to be sober-minded. Imagine being drunk and start sobering up and clearing up. And it's what he's saying. It's like, hey, focus. Sober up in your thinking. Get control of this. You know, we, we talk about you need to change your stinking thinking. That's what he's saying. You need to get control of your mind. Be sober in your thinking because this is important. Living this life of holiness. And so prepare your minds for action. In light of this beautiful, priceless inheritance that we have, Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. He goes on to say, put all of your hope, say all, not just some of it, but put all of your hope in what? The military? Nope. The economy? Nope. Your own ability to do X, Y, and Z? No. He says, put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Again, we are foreigners. We are travelers. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Amen? And we need to put all of our hope there because it changes everything else. When we put our hope there, I can smile when the world's going upside down and crazy. Right? When I put all my hope there, I can be grounded and not shaken in my faith like a good anchor established to this bedrock of this truth of, of God's love for us. I can just stand solid on that and say, even though everything else around me is crazy, I know my, whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Amen? And so he says, put all your hope in this gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Again, future when he, when he comes back, that salvation will be realized in its fullest um, effect for us. And so he says, put all your hope there. You, 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 to gather the loose ends of your mind, to have sober thinking, and just to be able to say, you know what? I need to live my life in light of that truth right there. That one day, I'll experience God's wonderful, blessed, living hope in this process inheritance he has for me. So he says, put all your hope there. And the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Verse 4, you must live as God's obedient children. And then he says, don't slip back into your old ways of living. Some of your translations will say, uh, do not conform to your old lives that you did in ignorance. Ignorance does not mean you're dumb. It just means you don't know. And so when we, before we come to Christ, there are things that we did. There are things that I did. And I look back now, and I'm like, oh, my lands, I can't believe some of the things that I did before I became a Christian. And then after I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit starts convicting me of those things. Or I'm doing something, and I read the Word of God, and all of a sudden I go, whoo, that's, a, that's, ooh, that's sin. That's rebellion. I probably should not do that. And so he has this process of growing us up in our faith, right? He says, don't conform Don't conform." or, or he says, uh, let me go back. I lost my place. You must not live. No, nope, where'd I go? Where'd it go? Help me out. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. 
Like you didn't know any better then, the things that you did, but now if you've placed your faith in Christ, you know better. You've heard the teaching of the word, right? The Holy Spirit lives in you. And so then, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It says, don't slip back into the old way. Some people excuse that. Well, that's just the way I am. Get over it. No, as followers of Christ, we're to grow and mature in our salvation. Amen? It says, don't go back to the old way. Don't glorify that. You, you, you've been bought with a price, he'll go on to say, but you're different now. And he says, don't conform any longer to that old style. And it reminds me of Romans 12 where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Back up here. It starts right here. The mind. So separate your minds, or excuse me, prepare your minds for, some people live like their minds are separated, but that's another story. So prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Put all your hope in this gracious salvation. Don't conform to your old way of living. In verse 15, he says, but now you must be holy in everything you do. He's calling us all to this lifestyle of holiness. It's not perfection, and this is not a list of things to do. Let me ask you a question. Who's responsible for our holiness? Is it me? Am I responsible for being holy, or is the Holy Spirit responsible for producing holiness in me? The answer, yes. He does his role. He produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so he has his work, sanctifying work, in growing us in our salvation. But we also have a role too, like not being conformed to the old life when we were ignorant. But listening to God's word and putting it into practice, we both have a role in it. Amen? And so he says, be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. How do we walk in the dark? Well, it starts with our mind, gathering loose ends of our mind, getting rid of the distractions. We allow so many thoughts to go through our mind on a daily basis. And should be able to just take those and say, I need to use sober judgment, look at this world through the lens of the gospel and what it means to me and what it requires of me and live my life accordingly to that. Now, that's one of the motivations is because of this gracious, beautiful, priceless inheritance that is set in heaven out of the reach of decay, right? This, this protected for us until the day that we receive it when Christ is revealed to the world. That's, that's motivation enough. It should be to live holy lives. Another one is accountability. Look at the next verse, and this one should be a sobering one for us. Verse 17, it says, Remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do Right, let's stop right there. He will judge or reward you. The Bible says that um, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God. There will be a time when we stand before him, not in judgment for eternity. That's been dealt with in that sanctify, or that, excuse me, in being saved, being justified. The penalty of the sin has been paid for. But we're still going to give an account for how we lived our lives here on this earth. And so that should be a, a sobering thought, right, to, to know that one day we'll stand before him and we'll receive reward or judgment based on what we do. And so that should motivate us also to say, hey, I need to consider this whole sanctification process in my life and let God have his cleansing work in my life. So it should be in a motivation as well because we're accountable to him. So he goes back again. So you must live in reverent fear, just this reverent respect and fear of who God is, his holiness, he says, you need to live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Again, outsiders. This world's not our home. We're just temporary citizens, if you will, temporary residents in this world. Our world is at home with the Father in heaven. 
right? And as we live as temporary residents, we should live our lives according to what he says, and that is to live lives that are holy. And so we live in reverent fear during our time here as temporary residents. Now, what gives God the right to hold us accountable? Like, why would God do that? Well, I tell you, he answers that in the following verses. Verse 18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you. Do you know that we were slaves to sin and there's nothing that we could do to free ourselves? But because of his mercy, his grace, he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin and my sin. And he paid a really big ransom to rescue us. That's good news, right? It's like, you know why God has the ability to say, I'm going to hold you accountable for how you live your life now? It's because I paid a huge, huge price to redeem you, to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. Verse 19, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. Back to verse 12. As I said last week, do you realize how privileged we are to have the whole revelation of God's plan for mankind? It says the prophets wanted to know more about what they were prophesying. We, you know what? That blows my mind, that we have more information today than even the prophets that we hold in a high regard than what they had back in their day when they were prophesying about the coming Messiah. We get the whole enchilada, amen? That's, that's overwhelming to me. That we live where we live in this time and place where we understand God's big revelation. And it says, but now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Verse 22, you were cleansed. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love. I want you to notice the word love is used two times in this verse. You must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. And this is another one of those things that reveal that we're growing in our, in our, our faith. We're being sanctified is our love for other people. Now, two loves. One of them is Philadelphia or phileo, and that means brotherly love. Now, can I suggest to you that the world knows how to give that kind of love, right? Those that are not in a covenant relationship with God the Father know how to show phileo love, a brotherly love. Man, I got you, bro. I love you, man. That, that kind of love, the world can do that. But we are a peculiar people. We're called out from that. We're, we're supposed to be different than the world. And he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to show an agapeo love to the brothers and the sisters. That's a hefty love. That's a self-sacrificing, selfless love that we are to show to the brothers and sisters. And so sometimes you say, as a litmus test, am I really growing in my faith? I don't know. How do you love people? Oh, Shane, you don't understand. There's some that are unlovable. I get you. There's some that are kind of crazy, in the church even. But my love for people is like it's just evidence that God is doing something in my heart, and, and you just grow more and more in your love. He says, love each other deeply with all of your heart. That's a pretty hefty love, isn't it? These are the things that should be, should be produced in our life as a result of this living hope that we have been given. Verse 23 says, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal 
living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Aren't you glad the word of the Lord remains forever? It's solid. He says, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2, verse 1, so get rid of all evil behavior. We need to be done with that. We're walking in sanctification. We need to get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. He says, cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Aren't you grateful for the kindness of the Lord? So there's this idea that this living hope that we don't deserve, that in his mercy he made available to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That saved encompasses being free from the penalty of sin. It also includes being free one day from the presence of sin. But church, please get this and know that it matters how we live our life, how we live our lives, and it matters today to realize that we've been free from the power of sin. We don't have to yield to sin in our lives. And we can't say, hey, I couldn't help it because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within you and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we're called to this lifestyle of holiness. So here's a question. Have you been saved? Have you placed your faith in Christ? What part does God's word have in your life right now? Because I want you to know that God's word is powerful. It's like the instruction manual for life. And like I said earlier, the things that I learned as I'm growing in my faith, the things that I used to do and not even think about it, that I get convicted as I read scripture and it's revealed to me that this is sinful. And so I have a choice to make. Do I keep ignoring scripture now and keep on in rebellion against what I've learned? Or do I submit to God's word and God's word has a, a very impacting um, you know, result in my life? So I ask you the same question. Where does God's word, I mean, does it have a place in your life? I would say this, also, would you say that, you know, you can look at your life from the moment you place your faith in Jesus to where you're at today. Can you look backwards and see any growth? Now, I realize that everybody grows at different rates. Some of us, you know, let's say some people grow like overnight and me, I'm like hard-headed, it takes forever. But here's the good news, as you look back, I can tell you this today, that I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not who I used to be either. That's so encouraging to me. And it should be to us as well. And so you can look back and say, hey, am I legitimately saved? Am I genuinely saved? Because he says it has a refining process. It proves the genuineness of our faith, the things that we go through. And we should be able to look back in our lives and say, you know what, I've seen God doing some things in my life. He's growing me. He's given me a little bit more of compassion for people. He's given me more love for people. He's given me just a desire to want to follow him and be obedient to him. I mean, you get where I'm coming from, right? And so the living hope should make us live holy lives. And I wonder what the world would look like today if we really got a hold of this and if the church, not just us, but the church globally, really realized their role in sanctification, what kind of an impact would that have around the globe? That light would be a lot brighter, wouldn't it? I mean, right now, here's the thing. How do they know that we're a Christian? Do they know we're Christian just because of where our car is parked on Sunday? If we're accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict us of that accusation? See, we're called to be the light. We're called to be the salt, and that is an influence in the world around us. And I just think if we grabbed a hold of this and we said, look, we're not perfect, but we're pursuing holiness, as he told us, 
that we're to pursue. In light of what he's done for us, now living a life worthy of the calling, Ephesians 4, 1, to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received, now I want to live my life to honor him, and I want to live a holy life because I know that other people out there that are in the darkness need to see the light. What kind of an impact would it have in our churches, our families, our communities, our workplaces, right? Peculiar people. Remember that. That's what we're supposed to be. Peculiar, weird. We're supposed to stand out, to be different from the world that we're in, to point people to the God that we say we believe in. I'm going to close with something that just hit me hard and heavy this week. I was listening to a podcast, and a friend brought it up, and I found it later on the Internet. Um, Some people were in dialogue with some of the Christians in Afghanistan. And they're just in contact with this underground church that is over in Afghanistan. And and this is their report. We received news that the underground church in Kabul, Afghanistan, has been martyred, killed. Our friends have been in contact and met together last night in deep prayer. The last words she spoke was, we feel your prayers because this supernatural boldness. David spoke of that a while ago, this boldness. Pray that I might have boldness. He said, we feel your prayers. Because this supernatural, it's not natural, it's supernatural from God. This boldness came over us. And we began singing and they're worshiping and they're praising God. And they said, even the kids said, Mom, we will not deny Jesus. Put that in context of what they're experiencing in that very moment. Taliban going door to door, killing Christians. And to know that there's this boldness that comes over them, that the next breath could be their last you know, one second they're praising God and they're standing in great boldness and their kids are saying, I won't deny Jesus. And a few seconds later, they're in the presence of Jesus. It's real for them. And it just blew me away to see that boldness. And this is what I'm, what I'm talking about is living a life no matter what that says, you know what, I know where my hope is at. And my hope is secure in heaven beyond the, any reach of, of anybody stealing it, of decay or rot, it won't perish. It is an everlasting living hope. And that living hope motivates me today to live a life worthy of that. That even if and, and we're in the same context, that we can say, God, I've got this absolute extreme boldness. A friend of mine were researching Peter. You know, Peter uh, traditionally was crucified upside down. And the rumor was that when it came time for him to be martyred, that he said, I'm not worthy of being crucified like Jesus. So, you know, crucify me upside down. I don't know if that's exactly true. We know he was crucified and he died. But I didn't know this. Peter was married. Peter, his wife, and it is said, and I can't remember which writer it was, Alexandra something. I don't remember. But anyways, um, he was talking about when Peter's wife was being led away to be killed. And Peter, as the husband, affectionately calling her out by name and encouraging her, knowing that he's fixing a loser, and he says, forget not Jesus. Remember Jesus. Amen? Listen, I don't know what we experience in this life, but I just want you to know that God, he's he's an amazing God, and he loves us. And he desires for his church, just like he did back in the Old Testament with his people, to reflect his glory and his holiness to a world that so desperately needs to see his glory and his holiness, right? And so you have a role to play. You have a part in this. And it's called sanctification. And so it really comes down to this. The song we sang, the very last song, says it all. In fact, can you put those lyrics up real quick? I didn't give you a heads up. Wake up behind the computer there if you're you're sleeping. I can't see because you're ahead. But the, the very last one, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I guess it's the chorus, right? 
Let's look at those lyrics real quick. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Go ahead, go on. Come fill this place or flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Stop right there. We're not talking about a church building, okay? And when we look at the church building, I sing that song, Lord, come fill this place with your atmosphere. Show up and let us feel your presence. But what if that atmosphere is my body? What if that atmosphere is my temple? And I'm like, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place and fill this atmosphere. Go ahead and go. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. Do we? Your glory in my life, God, is what I long for, to be overwhelmed by your presence, Lord. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. What if we were bold enough to pray that prayer? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. So it really comes down to this, all access. When we get saved, you know, we're cool with, all right, God, I want, you to, I want you to make me a religious person, and we give God the keys, if you will. Jesus gets the keys in the inside of our hearts, and he says, all right, you can do whatever, rearrange that room however you want to, Jesus. I'm so glad that you've moved into my heart. It's glad to have you here. But true salvation is to give him the keys to the whole house, all access. Jesus, I want you to come in, move in. And you know what? If you see anything that's offensive, anything that is contrary to what, you know, this new life that I'm called to, would you just, would you begin a work in me? I mean, that's what sanctification is. Here I am. Lord, I'm, I'm yours. Would you have your way in my life? Would you grow me up in my faith? Would you, would you sanctify me as we wait for that, that day? One day, could be soon, but that one day where we're standing face to face with the one that made it all possible. All glory and honor and praise go to him and him alone. Amen? So the question is, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Most important decision, what you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you placed your faith in Christ? I would say that today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. If he's knocking on your heart, he's drawing you, respond to that. Respond to his call and his invitation. But I also say, don't forget your role today as a follower of Christ, that God wants us to grow. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. And when we get that, when we allow that work to take place in our life, and yes, the Holy Spirit has his role too, and he begins to develop what love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. When he begins to produce all of these things in our lives and we begin to mature and grow in our faith, listen, it will have an impact on those around us. That's what he wants. Amen? Father, I thank you for your work of sanctification. Lord, we can't clean ourselves up. We prove that because there's nothing we could do to be saved. Lord, and while we were still in the middle of our sin, you sent Christ to die on the cross for those sins, to pay the penalty for those sins. And I am so grateful today that we stand before you justified, no longer guilty of those sins. But Father, I know that there is this heavy call today on, on our lives that it matters what we do. It matters how we live. It matters what we say and, and, and just how we conduct ourselves as outsiders in a strange land. It matters. And God, I pray that you put a heavy conviction in each one of our hearts that this is not just for the person sitting next to the other person. This is for you, for me, for everybody that's in this room. Personally, it's for us that you're calling us to this life of holiness. Father, I know that your Holy Spirit will guide us in that process, but Lord, we have a role as well. We have to be willing to allow you to bring change in our lives. And so God, would you start by helping us to get control of our thoughts? Lord, to eliminate some of the distractions that we allow so easily to come into our head that we would gird up the loins of our mind, be prepared for action, and with sober judgment, put all of our hope in this gracious salvation that we know one day is, is going to be for us to see, not by faith, but by sight. 
And Father, I thank you so much that you love us enough that you've called us to this great salvation. And I pray, God, that our lives would be such a, uh, a reflection of you to our coworkers and our families and the church and community that people are just drawn, somehow drawn to you through us. Hey, your life is different, and I don't know what it is, but I want what you got. I pray that that would be said of our lives. And, Father, at the end of the day, it's not so we can brag about how good we are, but, Lord, how good you are. And so we say to all, all glory, all honor, all, all praise belong to you and you alone. Lord, please grow us today uh, in our walk with you. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.